Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12, particular emphasis on verse 9. And it may shock you that I'm going to do it out of the King James today. Don't do that very often. I don't do it very often because I don't really care for the way the King James uh, uses el- you know, an older language or an elderly language that it doesn't, to me, mean d- as deeply as I think the intent was. But here, uh, I think the King James is better. In some, I think the, the, the Greek word that's been used here is better in the translation than it is in other versions, even though even in the direct translations. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4, we find in, in, in the King James Version, you might have the New King James, that's fine, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto which be disobedient, the stone which the builder is disallowed. The same is made the head of the corner, and of a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble, of the word, being disobedient, whereunto they were also appointed. Do you understand what I just said? You probably don't. But if you're following in your version outside of King James, it may make a little more sense to you. He says in verse 9, listen to this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. From that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Or in the New America Standard, it says, Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Which wages war against your soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may also see your good works. And they shall behold and glorify God in the day of visitation. Now there's a lot to be said there. But the main key to me is verse 9. But you, he says, are a chosen generation. A royal 
priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the key. Been used many times, many different variations of scripture, many different translations done over and over and over again. But verse 9 is always the key. Always has been, always will be. So let's take a look at it in verse 9. He said, you are a chosen people. Friends, I want to get to the peculiarity in a little bit. Because I know that we're a peculiar people. Good night. Our earth is peculiar. But what has happened, and I want you to see this as I go back to it eventually. Where everybody kind of thought this was what normal was for many years. Normal, now we call it the new normal. And that's scary, what the new normal is. Because the new normal to me isn't really normal. It really isn't normal. And as we continue to look at the word of God, cling to the word of God, believe in the teachings of the Savior, and hold on to what we know godliness and holiness and righteousness to be. The new normal, since we can't leave what we know to be right, the new normal it makes us in the minority. It changes society. Amen. And so what society says is normal, you and I as Christians, no Christian could say is. And so as far as being peculiar, we're going to be peculiar to those who live in the new normal. Because the new normal is scary. It wasn't always so. The church has always kind of thought it was. But the church 30 years ago, 40 years ago, didn't see what you and I are seeing now. Some of you were, were there back then. You know, I was there. I know. And I know what, you know, even though the church was different, Christians were different, than everybody, everybody else, it wasn't this massive gap that there is now. Because everybody still thought, Christian or not, that this is normal things that people do and this is abnormal. And abnormal people typically had mental problems, they were deranged. But now, completely normal-minded people are living a new societal normal that is not normal. It's just not. It's different. And, it, and I'll tell you why, what makes it not normal. It's gotten away from the Word of God. It's gotten away from what God says is right. Now, you can tell me I'm an old fuddy-duddy. You can say I'm a holy roller. You can call me anything you want. But I think the Lord says I'm peculiar. And I'll accept that. I'll accept peculiar. And I'll tell you why. Because it makes me a chosen generation. It makes me part of the royal priesthood and part of the holy nation, and, and that's where I want to be. I want to be part of God's holy nation. Do you? That, that used to describe the United States. It no longer does. The holy nation now is those who are adopted into the nation of God. Part of his kingdom. Amen. This is what we're looking for. So we are, according to God, a chosen people. In verse 9, Peter says, we're chosen. And according to Merriam-Webster, chosen means you are selected from a number. You're picked out. You are choice. You are the elect. Now, this clearly means that we are the cream of the crop. We are the best of the best. We are the best of the best. Now, unfortunately... This has been misunderstood by many people. It doesn't mean that God somewhere, some way, way back when, before he created humankind, decided 
who would be part of this group. No, he didn't, but he knew. He knew who would choose it, but he didn't determine who it would be. Now, our, some of our Baptist and Calvinist brothers and sisters say opposite of that. Well, they can believe what they want. But for me, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> what it means is that those who accept what Christ offers and live a life that is commanded, we will be part of this group. We'll be part of the group that are the elect, the chosen. Now, in restaurants and amongst food buyers, every playground all over the world, in elite universities, not to mention our sports teams, chosen and picked out means you have skills that will give you some sort of a status or you are of a special quality or you or the food that's being chosen or put together is available only to those of a, of a prime or a high-end restaurant or something like that. In fact, in, in the agricultural sector, you can purchase USDA, U.S. Department of Agriculture, prime uh, beef, meats, and things like that, poultry, or you can buy what most people are able to buy is choice. And of course, prime is better than choice, and they're all graded, you know. Right. And to be chosen for prime, well, <laughs> you have to be a pretty, pretty good cow, <laughs> you know. Oh, yes. And the bigger group is obviously choice because there's not oh, as many. But then there are grades lower than that, you know. But to be chosen into the higher end things, you know, to be chosen, you know, now there are, there are kids on the playground, uh, they're going to pick the very best to play on their team. You know that, okay? Mm -hmm. And let's face it, not all of us were chosen first, were we? Okay? And when you got to be really, really good, uh, maybe you were one of the first chosen, you know? But here's the deal. Then you got into high school and not everybody was chosen to play on the varsity, you know? And the larger your school, the harder it is. Penn High School, I think, if I, if I saw it properly, they cut 200 young men every year. Around here, nobody gets cut. But in elite schools, they do because there's just too many, and everybody wants to play there. Because they know that if, if you play for Penn High School or you play for Ben Davis in Annapolis or you pay, play for uh, uh, Cincinnati Moeller or some of these larger heights, some, you know, some of these in Azusa, California and other places like that, when you play for these schools, uh, colleges look at those players. Warren Central. And I can tell you that Penn High School had, I think, 11 of their ball players signed to Division I high-end schools this year. Reason why? Ben Davis will have that many too. So will Warren Central. And this is just in Indiana. What about these teams in California and Florida and some of the really, really good ones out there? Okay? So you understand. And then those players know that if they go to high-end schools, the chances of them playing pro ball are much better. It isn't very many that undrafted people coming out of smaller schools get the chance to play at a higher level. They may, they may get signed to a contract, but chances are they'll never get on the football field during a professional game unless it's preseason. There's been a few that's done it, but not very many. I can think of one quarterback that came out of Division II in, in Steve McNair that actually made it with Houston Oilers years ago as a quarterback. 
Very few D2 ball players. So you got to go to Division One, and it's got to be, it can't be Sister Mary Applesauce. You understand? It's got, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just telling you, it's going to have to be somebody who is somebody with a program that's respected. That's how you get chosen to play in the NFL. That's how you get chosen to play in the NBA. That's how you get chosen to play professional baseball, Major League Baseball. That's how you get chosen to play in the, in the National Hockey League. And that's even tougher because in the United States, we don't have very many high schools that have hockey. There's a few, but not very many. And, if, and, and they're, not, they're usually further north than we are. And we're in Indiana, and that's kind of the middle. Now, northern Indiana teams have hockey teams. Michigan has hockey teams. You understand that? Okay? You really want to play hockey, you go across the border to Canada. That's their game. And so the fact of the matter is, you know, only the elite, only the really skillful, not only just physically, but here too. They, they're the ones that get chosen. It's the same is true with artists and musicians, right? right? Some just have this talent that others don't have. You understand? I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to understand certain people are chosen for higher things and all of us at one time or another wishes we had the skill or the ability to be chosen for those things to experience that and every every parent i ever knew prepared their kid hoping they could do it agreed where maybe our parents and our generation didn't do as good a job with that because it wasn't nearly as important today parents are living their lives through their children because they want them to ascend to higher things. That's and that's a dangerous place to be. It is. It is. And what happens is they, everything is wrapped around yes. the kids' activities so that they can ascend to these things. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not telling you, you shouldn't push your kids to higher things. Yeah. My kids all did something. They tried it. They didn't always want to do it, but they tried it. And I told them, when you start it, you will finish it, no matter what. Okay. I had, I had all three of my sons went on scholarships of some sort, you know, to, not, you know, to college. Frank played, played football at Taylor, uh, Tim on, on a wrestling scholarship at uh, McKendree, and Jeff on a wrestling scholarship at Manchester. So they all did it. Now, I'm not telling you that because, oh, look at my kids. No, but I, but I know that the danger was there that we could have allowed sports or, their, or our pursuit of it to take over our family. And I remember when they were in high school, I told their coaches, every last one of them, if you have any type of uh, practices on Wednesday night, they will not be there. I don't care how good they are. They won't be there. Now, did the boys wrestle on occasion in a meet on Wednesday? Sure, but it didn't happen that often. Chris Barrett knew Frank would not be there on Wednesday night if it, if it took over church time. He wouldn't be there. On a rare occasion, a special meeting or a luncheon, okay. But now schools are even considering scheduling things on Sundays. Stuns me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on my, on my soapbox today. I'm simply telling you that society will overtake and push out the things that God says we have to have in our lives to be the chosen. Right. You understand what I'm saying to you? Right. That's right. Not the th and here's the other thing. In, in, in humanity, you, you may not be good enough or strong enough, or smart enough, or whatever, to be chosen into these elite programs, or sports teams, or whatever it is. But in God's kingdom, all you have to do is accept his offer, and you immediately are his chosen. Right. You are immediately part of the chosen. I like being the chosen, do you? Yeah. 
I want to be the chosen for eternity. Do you? Your status in God is different. We are not chosen because of race, creed, talent, money. We're not chosen due to our own efforts, our own works. We're not chosen for any of those things. You might not get chosen in society for this, that, or the other thing. Even as a pastor, there are certain churches out there that are considered to be, ooh, the one to get. And I have to tell you, that's grand. But I am never going to be chosen for some of these congregations. And you know what? I don't care. Amen. 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 I don't care because what's important to me is I want to be chosen in the kingdom of God because my life reflects that I chose Jesus as my Savior when he offered it, and now I am obedient to the point that I'm living a life that allows me to stay there. And because I am, it doesn't matter where I pastor. God will put me where he wants me to be, and I will do so with the best of my ability. And that's what God is looking for in his people. You may not have gotten chosen for the volleyball team or the, the bowling team or or whatever team it is, and, or, or the elite group of kids in their little clique, or whatever. You might, not have, you might have been the person that never got that. And I'll bet you a lot of people in here can say, I identify with that. But today, my friends, you are chosen as part of God's kingdom. And that, friends, is the one you're looking for. You see, that's the one that's important. Your talent doesn't matter. Your money doesn't matter. You should use it for him. But he doesn't choose you based on that. In fact, Paul tells Titus in chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness or what we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. No, we're chosen because God chose the whole human race. But the problem is most of them rejected his offer. <laughs> Christ died for the entire human race, you understand that? But most of them are rejecting his offer. But those who accept and live accordingly, those who are obedient to, for the whole of their lives, they are the elect. Does it mean if we sin or fall, we're out? No. In fact, to tell you the truth, I think it's pretty hard to lose your salvation. You can, but I think it's pretty hard for you to do it. Okay? You have to completely say, well, I'm just done with that. I'm just done with this heaven thing and God, and I don't want to be saved anymore. Well, I think you can lose it for that, you know? But I don't think it's because you sinned or fell or did this. Now, if you tell God, talk to the hand when he's telling you, look, we got to get some reconciliation here. I don't know where that goes. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know how long it takes. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I believe if you're really saved, if your heart was really changed, you would never get to that point where you tell God, talk to the hand. You would, and you would know immediately or pretty soon after that you did some things or didn't do some things that God says, hey, we've got to reconcile this. When I sin, I know it. Anybody in here know it? Okay. When I haven't been the righteous person and the holiness person that God wants me to be, I darn sure know it. Even if I'm not really willing to admit it, I darn sure know it, and it doesn't take very long. Now, you can say, well, that's you. Well, that should be everybody who has the Holy Spirit by the Holy Ghost, according to Scripture, in their heart. If you have that, you're going to know, you see. And when you fall, friends, it means that God's plan has to continue, you see. 
In other words, when we fall and fail, we have to go through the process. We have to realize what we've done. We have to admit it, which is hard to do. Okay? Admit that God's right and you were wrong and his, what he said is correct and you stepped outside of it. You have to be completely ashamed and sorry. Agreed? And you wanna, have to want to change it. You have to want to get back into the graces of God that you, where you belong. And so you ask for forgiveness, you receive forgiveness, and then you receive the grace and mercy that comes with it, you see. And then you determine, I'm not going to do that again. But you know, why? Because, not just because God says so, but because I don't want to disappoint my father. I don't want to disappoint and upset what I've gained here. I want to please the Lord. I want to be obedient. And so I determined not to do it again. And so going through this process is called obedience. That's obedience too. Obedience is obeying the law of God, the commands of God. But it's also when you fall, being obedient to go through the process again to, to absolve yourself of the sinfulness of your failure. You understand that? That's called obedience. Listen. I don't like to reconcile with people sometimes either, especially when it's painful. Whether I'm at fault or I'm not. Most of the time, we see everybody else's faults before ourselves, you know. In every situation, in every relationship, when there's a falling out, both of us probably think we're right. God says it doesn't matter who's wrong or right. And if you fail and refuse to reconcile, that's disobedience, and you're wrong. <laughs> Regardless if you were right in the beginning. You understand that? So disobedience can be just not reconciling with God or others. That's disobedience, because God demands that we do. Amen? Now, you did know that, right? But what about, again, the situation does not matter. God has never said, unless it's this or that. He never said that. So understand that disobedience is when we refuse to reconcile with others, but particularly with God. Because mm -hmm. if you're reconciled with God, you will always reconcile with others. That's correct. That's correct. The yeah? That's the way it goes. You see, I realize my error, and I'm obedient to be restored to sinless status, as well as being in God's great pleasure. That's what I want, that's what I want to do. So, so we're chosen because God loves us, and then he had mercy on us. Okay? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It only sounds good in King James, you know. I got to use it there. Hallelujah. But this is the way, this is the way and the why it works, friends. It's why it works the way it does. Too many denominations and churches don't quite understand it. If only certain people, and I want you to hear me here now, church. If only certain people are allowed or forced, they would say, to be part of the elect. And some are forced, according to them. That clearly means that God only loves those people and not his entire creation. That is not what the Bible says. But the Bible is clear that God loves all of humanity. He isn't pleased with all of humanity, and he doesn't accept their sinfulness. He doesn't accept their disobedience. He doesn't accept their transgressions. But he does love them. This is why it pains him so much to know that he sent his son to redeem them, but most will reject. They will be completely defiant. They will be completely disobedient. Resulting, unfortunately, in spending eternity outside of him in eternal torment. That's going to happen. But those who accept and live properly, well, 
They're the people that Peter is talking about. And they have no fear of eternity. In fact, they long for it. I have no fear of the Lord's return. I long for it. And my girls used to tell me, well, you know, but, but I want it, but, but I want to experience, I know, marriage, a relationship with somebody, children. I, I, I get that. But friends, I, I, I understand. But here, here's the deal. We're looking at things in humanity. And if you understand the depth of what God is trying to teach us, anything with him far exceeds anything you'll experience here. Amen. Even those things that we hold dear. Mm-hmm. You understand that? It changes completely. And in our humanists, we don't quite understand that because all we can see is the joy and the elation of what life offers us. But eternal life offers us something that doesn't even compare to that. And you won't even think of it. It won't even be a thought anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for us to fathom that in our humanists, isn't it? Thank you, my Lord. He goes on to say, and I have more to say about this in this, these other things, but he also said we're a royal people. Well, I don't, you know, a royal priesthood. I, 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 don't, I don't feel very royal. Do you feel royal today? Who feels royal? Anybody feel like putting on a crown and a robe? Right? Right? Now, we like the authority that comes with it, but we're not sure we feel all royal today, you know. According, according to Merriam-Webster, again, it's a characteristic of or befitting a king, magnificent, kingly, and majestic. Have you ever noticed how the Brits revere and talk about the royal family? I never understood it. I'm American. And we took great pains when we founded this nation not to have any type of royal hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Real, because we know how dangerous it can be. Mm-hmm. A monarchy, you know. Yes. Now, the British royal family doesn't have much authority and power. Lord, because they don't form the government. They don't, they're more of a token than anything. The British are going to be mad at me for saying it. But anybody British in here? No? Yeah. So, you know, but, and so, but, but, you know, but that's, their, that's their culture. That's their system. Okay, great. I went to school there. I know. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I, I know how infatuated they are, you know. You can't go into hardly any pub, you know, to get, you know, what everybody eats, which is fish, chips, and baked beans at lunch, okay. You can't hardly, and every pub in every corner sells it, you know, with different types of malt vinegar to dip it in. But anyway, here's the deal. You, you know, everybody sells it, and so you go in there, and I'm telling you, you walk in any pub and at lunchtime, and somebody will start talking about the royal family. That's how much they revere them. How much attention do they get? Anybody ever watch The Crown on Netflix? Anybody seen that? Yeah, kind of. My daughter Carol got me into that, and here I am, stuck in The Crown. And I, I watched where she started at the la- in season four, finished that, and then we went to the beginning. It started, and, and then it start, some things started to make sense, and went all the way through. And, I, and I'll tell you this, it changed my perspective a little bit, because I think it's kind of accurate. It changed my perspective, and I don't have near as much disdain I guess I would say for them I understand that a lot of them don't want to be royal have no interest in it I get it but 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 think about it if you if you were I mean the Queen of England the Dick of Edinburgh you know the the Prince Charles Princess Di William and Kate Harry and Meghan you know all royals you know 
And it isn't easy to get into that position of, as, as a royal. He had to be born into it or married into the royal family. Although it's possible for the sovereign to give a person not born into the family some, some sort of royal status by appointing as a prince or princess. They can do that. In fact, the Duke of Edinburgh, was a, was, she made him a prince even though he wasn't. Not, well, he was, but not, not an English prince. But this is rarely done outside of marriage or adoption, you see. In fact, I don't think it's been done in hundreds of years. But either way, regardless, I think everybody at one point or another has this sort of a desire or infatuation with this status of being a royal because you see the benefit that comes with it, you know. Right? I mean, everybody likes the idea of somebody chauffeuring them around, you know, and being the center of attention for certain things. And, you know, money's usually really never a problem. You know, and then, so it, it, it brings a lot of things that others would think, man, that's cool. And still others would say, I want no part of that. Right? Amen. But I think most people kind of aspire to it at least a little bit. Now, in the United States, this is illegal. Did you know that? It's illegal. No American can have any type of royal status like that. We don't even allow knighthood. Now, had there been Americans that were knighted over there? Yes, there is a provision that allows it, but your knighthood means nothing here. Zero. We don't allow it. But in the Lord, all believers become royal, you see. Become royal. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 14 to 15, that God's people are royal because of our adoption into the family of God. We had walked away from, we had lost our status in the family of God, you know. Well, I didn't. Yes, you did. Well, my infant couldn't have. Yes, yes, they did. They did because they were born into it based on the sin of Adam and Eve. It started there. Okay? Well, that's not fair. It doesn't matter. That's what God says. So whether you like it or not, get used to it. So the fact of the matter is everybody has to be saved. Their status has to change. To become chosen and royal, you have to be clothed with Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Paul says, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, even though we weren't part of God's family because sin separated us from it, by accepting God's offer and being restored to it, we are now adopted back to the family. Right. Praise God, we're adopted back to the family. And with that comes every right and privilege of being His, you see. I would rather be His they're part of the royal family of England, or any other country for that matter. And if there was a queen of America, like was said in, in uh, one of the, I don't know which one it was, probably uh, Amanda probably knows, Three Musketeers. Yeah, the queen of America. Yeah, you know, there isn't one. But I'll tell you this, if there were, I would rather belong to him than her. You see. Why? Because that's a real royal status. It's the one that's eternal. This one's temporary. And every single king and queen and prince and princess or whoever, every single one of them that I can see thus far has died or on their way to it. And won't be royal anymore. But in him you will always be royal. That is the key. It's always been the key. It's always going to be the key. You see, there's this terrible misconception that many people have. They believe that all humans are God's children. And friends, this simply is not true. So look toward each other and tell each other, all humans are not God's children. It's not true. I don't care what you want to think or believe. It's not true. 
I defer to the scripture where, where something very different is told to us. Are they all God's children? Yes. Are they all God's children in creation? Yes. He's the Father and created us, but we are not His children in eternity. You understand that? Big difference. A lot of God's earthly creation is never going to be in eternity with Him. Do you understand that? Okay? But it isn't for the reasons that most people think. You see, God simply requires the process of reunification by acceptance, justification, and adoption. Now, you've got to write those words down because they're important. God will accept you when you are prostrate before him and say, I was wrong, I need your salvation. He will accept you. Do you understand that? And because you've determined to stop your sinfulness and change it, the penalty is wiped out, which means you are justified back to the Father because the Son did it for you. He paid your price, your penalty. So justification has taken place. And because now you are clean and worthy, you are now adopted into the family. Has to be done. It took the spilling of blood, and precious blood, I might add, to do it. You see, God simply requires the process to happen. This is then followed by complete obedience, or the process has to be completed all over again. Okay? You are a child after this. You belong to him after this until you renounce it by disobedience and sinfulness and then refuse to be reconciled. And I think that's how you lose it. That's how you lose your salvation. You refuse to be reconciled by continuing to do it over and over and over again with no remorse. Now, are you saying that people that are sinful, but they want to change it and they're trying, aren't saved? I'm not saying that. I think God's grace covers that. But there's an awful lot of people that are out there doing it, saying they want to change, and they really have no intention of it. But that ain't up to me. It's up to them and him. See? You see, that's, that's where we're at. So you're saying God's grace doesn't cover all sin? No, it does not. No, it doesn't. It covers the sin that you repent from and the one that you're trying to change because you desire it. That's the difference. But when you tell God, talk to the hand, no, I don't believe. I don't think any Wesleyan pastor believes it. I don't believe that God's grace covers your sinfulness if you refuse it. And I've had some seminarians that I wooed look at me and go, had to think about it. I said, why would, why would God's grace cover that which you're, why would it cover disobedience? If you know it. If, well, what if you don't know? That's different. If you don't know it, okay. I think God's grace covers it. But if you do know, that's willful disobedience. What do you do with that? I don't think God's pleased with that. Do you think God's pleased with that? Okay. Now, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm just saying. I don't. I don't know how you do it. Hey, I'm just the messenger, friends. I'm just trying to be the messenger. Paul also tells us in the next two verses that God's people are royal because of the relationship to the triune God. The triune God. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, there's a lot to be said there, but basically, there is a one of us at one point or another who didn't wonder if our parents loved us. Mm -hmm. 
right? Kids need that assurance, you know, especially when they've gotten in trouble. You know, you've had to discipline them. They'll come back and say, would you love me? And, of course, none of you ever did that, did you? It seems like the harsher the punishment, the less the parent probably loves you. <laughs> and, you know, you say, when the parents say, you know, I, I'm only doing this because I love you and it hurts me more than it does, you're like, right, not a chance. But that's how kids think, you know. And there are many reasons why kids might think this, you know. But it isn't because of discipline, I don't think. Mm. If you beat them, it might. Yes, sir. But if you're disciplining them, I, I, don't, I don't think that's it. Maybe if you neglect them. Maybe if you don't spend any time with them. Maybe if you act like you don't care. Yeah, yeah, they might question. And I'm not telling you how to parent. That's a sermon for another day. But I'll, t but I'll tell you this, my friends. Paul wants us all to be reassured. Hopefully, we're all reassured in our, with our parents, and, and we're as parents reassuring our kids, and as, as grandparents, we're doing it, reassuring them. But with the Lord, we have plenty of reassurances, you see? Paul says it's more than that. He says that when we're connected to God, we absolutely know that we belong to Him because our spirit is connected to His spirit. And what does that mean? It means that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know. Amen? It's called royalty, friends. Paul says it doesn't end there. He says that uh, we're a holy people. You are a holy people. I have to tell you the truth. <laughs> as much as I don't feel very, very royal, I certainly don't feel very holy sometimes. Anybody been there with me? Didn't feel real holy, you know. There are some days I think, man, I, I was pretty holy today. But then I think, I probably ought not think that. Because as holy as I am, I'll never, I'll never be as holy as him, I don't suppose. Because he's holy all the time. And let's face it, I'm not. <laughs> Amen? Right? So, but I want to be like him. I want to be holy all the time. Anybody? Right? Eddie Murphy put out a, a song a number of years ago called Party All the Time. Party all, I, want, I want to be holy all the time. Holy all the time. Holy all the time. Right? I'm trying to put things in your mind that you'll grasp. Holy all the time. Yeah? You giggle. You laugh. You smile. The fact is, I don't need to party all the time. I want to be holy all the time. You understand? Because party all the time doesn't get you anywhere. It's temporary. But holy all the time, <laughs> I know where that goes. Okay? Holy all the time is important, friends. Now, Webster defines holiness in this way. It says you're set apart to the worship of God. You are spiritually whole. Brother, I want to be, anybody feel spiritually halved a little bit? Or spiritually incomplete? You can be spiritually whole. You're unimpaired. Innocence. Or proved, proven virtue, godly. That's what he says. Are we? Are we holy? Are we spiritually whole? Are we set apart the worship of God? Are we unimpaired in our innocence? Are we proven in our virtue? I'm not sure we are. But that's what holiness is, you see. Now, we can evaluate this ourselves. Are we living a life that God considers holy? Are you living a life that your, your church friends find holy? Are your Friends that want to live life this way, but say they're saved. You look, guys, you, 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 you can't judge it based on your own feelings. Doesn't work. Does it? Your own mental understanding. That, that, that doesn't tell you anything. Because I know a lot of people that are absolutely certain of certain things. And guess what? They're not true. And there's a fine line between mental illness and rationality. Sometimes. 
And a lot of rational people have wrong opinions about things, and we call them ignorant and uninformed. Okay? And if you say, I'm not, then there might be mental illness. Okay? Because you can't believe things that aren't true. You can't do it. And God's saying, wait a minute. Really? You really think that? You see, friends, when you're plugged into God, you know this either way. You know it. You know what is and what isn't. When you are so plugged in, you can believe a lot of things. Or when you aren't so plugged in, when you're not plugged in, you can believe a lot of things that aren't true. Especially about Christianity. Especially about righteousness. Especially about being holy. You can believe anything you want. And you want to. What's more? I think the church has lots of people in it today that are more confused about what this means. As well as living under their own false assurances as to their status. I think they are. I think they are. You see, if we're truly holy, we're completely obedient to the word. Write that down. Come on, guys, write it down. If you're, if you're holy, you are completely obedient to the word. All right. Thank you. But what about, there's no buts there. If you're holy, you are completely obedient to the word. Amen. We believe its intention and what it demands. If you're holy, you do that. We don't compromise what it says. And we certainly don't run with the crowd that does. You understand that? You don't run with the crowd that compromises the word of God when you're holy. Okay? You don't run with them. Even more, we certainly don't agree with them. And I'll go further than that. Neither do we give in to their demands to soften our stance. They'll accuse you of being intolerant. And I tell them, look in the mirror. That's really what you need to do. You want to talk about intolerance? I'll show you intolerance. And you tell me when Christ was ever tolerant of sinfulness. When? Because he loved people? That's not tolerance of sinfulness. Because he was compassionate toward people, that's not tolerance towards sinfulness. In fact, he told them all, so go and stop what you're doing then. More than one time he said it, well then go and stop. Don't sin anymore. If he tolerated it, he would have said, keep doing it. He didn't. Never once did he do it. So what are we talking about here? Does love mean tolerance of sinful activity? No. Didn't for Christ? Doesn't for us. Which is why we don't run with the crowd that does. And we don't give in to the crowd that does. Unfortunately, many in the church have. But instead, we should willingly set ourselves apart to the worship of God by giving ourselves to Him in surrender and consecration. There's a thought. Romans 12, 1, one of my favorite scriptures ever. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present yourselves... As in, in your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
Just reasonable. I want to be more than reasonable. And if presenting myself as a living sacrifice to God is only reasonable, then I need to be fully sold out and surrendered into the Word of God so I can be more than reasonable in my service. I can be stellar. I can be significant. And I can please, I can please the Almighty God Himself. That's what I want to do. My question is, do any of us really understand what this means? Do you know what it means? You see, the Holy Spirit cleanses the heart of the surrendered Christian, and it gives that person power for service. You can't really serve. You really can't serve unless your heart is cleansed. You really, you really can't. I, I know people's trying it. I know they're trying it. But their service is lacking. You see, without the full cleansing of the heart, you can't possibly serve the Lord. Without the cleansing of the heart, we'll look at people rather than see into them. There you go. That's it. We will associate with the troubled rather than getting involved personally with the troubled. And if you think about it, Jesus saw into the people and got so involved with them that he took his sins, their sins upon himself and died for them. Now, he's not called you to do that. Because you're not capable of that. But you're capable of a lot more than you are. You're capable of a lot more than you, have, than you are, more capable of what you're doing, more capable than you've done. That's a fact. Notice, even though he died for these people, he never caroused with them. He never compromised his position. But we've decided that to love people means to give in to them and accept their ways and their beliefs. No, it doesn't. Never has. Friends, this is and always will be Satan's greatest lie. It really will. And Satan is destroying Christians with this fake sense of love and this nonsense. He's destroying Christians with this fake sense of love. Jonathan, we might post that somewhere. Satan is destroying Christians with a fake sense of love. You can put a dash and put Dan Willis on it. I thought it up. But I don't want credit for it. I'll tell you what I want. I want people to understand it and change it. That's what I want to see. A fake sense of love. And we've, it is written all over the church today. If we really love people and we wanted them to enjoy eternity with Christ, then we'd practice holiness to a, such a godly level that they could not deny it. And we would work tirelessly to get others saved and into this godly level of holiness as well. That's what we would do. You see, friends, that's really what love is. That's really what it is. It's not crippling and condemning people eternally by feeling sorry for them and catering to their sinfulness. That's what Satan wants you to do. That's what he wants the church to do. Does this stun you that Satan has a plan for the church? Satan stopped trying to, trying to uh, defeat the church, to throw the church out years ago. He's trying to give us a false sense of what Christ said it is. And a false sense of what Christ said it ought to do and what it ought to be. 
And you know what? We're jumping in this thing with both feet and doing exactly that. And that's why the church isn't godly anymore. It's Satanly. But he's such a good disguiser, isn't he? You see, we have to be very careful with this idea of crippling and condemning people by feeling sorry for them and giving in to their sinfulness. Love doesn't mean putting your arm around somebody who's involved in sinfulness saying, bless your heart, it's okay. No, it's not. Okay. We can help your situation, and we can stand with you, and we can love on you and be compassionate, but you have to stop. You have to draw a line in the sand and stop this sinfulness. All right. That's what you have to do. Well, how do you know it's sinful? Because the Bible says so. Thank you. That's enough. That's all I need. Thank you. Okay? Stop it. Please. And yet, I understand how easy this is to do. It's so easy to just think, oh, we just let's love on them, because they're not ready to change yet. But you don't understand. If they don't change today and Christ comes, I don't know. I don't know. And the Bible says you can know. You should know. I want to know. And I'll bet they do too. You see, friends, we get caught up in our emotions and our compassion, and we think, well, you know. But then when we do this, we lower the standards of salvation and holiness. And we have no right to do that. Only God does. And you know what? He doesn't. He doesn't. God has, here's another one, Jonathan. God has never lowered the standard of salvation and holiness, friends. He has never lowered the standard. And who are we to do that? But that's exactly what the church has done. It has. When we put our arm around people and say, well, God doesn't, never has. Compassion and love doesn't mean acceptance, compromise. It doesn't mean that, never has. And this is why many people in the church are offering a false salvation, friends, get this, that doesn't even exist. And we've created a false holiness and a false godly acceptance that also doesn't exist. It exists here. That's all. It exists in our practices, but it doesn't exist in God's kingdom. It never has. I don't know. I know some people say, well, you know, that's harsh. But what do I do with it? I can't sugar. I don't want to sugarcoat that. I don't want to give it to you. You know, I know you got to take your medicine here. We all got to take our medicine here. Can't get better without the medicine. You understand? Does the sugar help it? Not really. I would rather suck the thing down and take it and be done. Because now it's going to help me to be better. And unfortunately, we would rather take the medicine that makes us better physically than the one that makes us better spiritually. We really, really would. That's really what we want today. Because our physicality and our physical self rules us and you know what's in there our emotions our feelings but this is false and this is precisely why jesus himself said in luke 
chapter 14, verses 22 to 28. Listen to this big contrast going from King James all the way to the New Living Translation. Complete paraphrase. Look what he says. And I want you to listen very closely to this. Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Notice he's always doing that. Jerusalem is going to be the new Zion. He was always pressing toward that. And we should always be pressing toward Zion. You understand that? Sermon for another day. Unless you got time today. He was always pressing on toward Jerusalem. The Bible says always. Now listen to this. And Jesus, or someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? Oh, fair question. Everybody wants to know. He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. And when the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand. Notice he said you, because he knew, he knew who they were. He knew their hearts. He knew that they were trying to do the bare minimums to get in, which is exactly what people in the church in modern times is doing. Work hard, he says. It'll be too late. You're going to stand out. You will stand outside knocking and even pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. And then you will say, but we ate and we drank with you and we taught in your streets. In other words, we ministered. We, we talked about you. We even put placards in our homes and we put st stickers on our cars and we loved on people. We were compassionate to people. And we put our arm around them and said, bless your heart. It's okay. That's what we did. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Second time he said it. Away from me, get away from me, all of you who are doing evil. In other words, when you do that, bless your heart, your, your sinfulness is okay. God understands you, friends, are doing evil. Evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. That's what he said. You will be thrown out. And we, Satan's telling the church, God will never throw people out. Oh, yes, he will. Now, either you believe those people or you believe the inerrant, inspired word of God in front of you. You will be thrown out. Is that going to happen? He says it is. Friends, the Bible shouldn't have to be any more clear than that. But you know, we're sort of hard-headed. We're a little bit stubborn. And we want to believe what we want to believe. So that we can 100%. Now, if you want to be chosen, if you want to be royal, and if you want to be this holy person with all the rights and the privileges that it brings, then you're going to have to be this last one. Here we go, peculiar. You're going to have to be a little peculiar. No, you're going to have to be a lot peculiar. And let me tell you, oh, yes. Oh, yes. you're an awful peculiar people. And I'm grateful for that. Aren't you? Aren't you? I mean, that's an insult to anybody else. But to us, we're like, yeah, woo, I'm peculiar. Love it. Yes, I do. You love being peculiar? I love it. Love it. See, that's, that's the key, you see. Love it. Peculiar. Webster says, 
belonging to an individual privately owned, not common private property. Now this may be the translation, might not be the translation you're expecting, because peculiar today means oddity. Maybe it means maybe bizarre. And don't spell it with an A. Thank you. Unfortunately, people misspell bizarre. But anyway, so what it means according, because you know there's a bizarre that you go to, and there's a bar, bizarre that you are. Okay. Okay, so what it means according to the content of the scripture is this. The Christian who completely belongs to God is not his own. Never been his own. And this sets the Christian apart and makes him different from everybody else in the world. You see, we should glorify God by giving him absolute first place in our lives. And you know what, friends? You may think you do, but I bet you don't. I bet you don't. Not really. And certainly not all the time. How are we doing so far? Right? I know it, I know it bites. I know you don't want to think it, but wouldn't you really rather know the truth? Wouldn't you really? Now, Stephen himself was set apart unto God. The Bible says he was. He was peculiar in the sight of the Pharisees, wasn't he? Heck, he was peculiar in the sight of the Christians he was hanging out with. He was trying to teach them how to be more peculiar so they could be more like Christ. How about that? And because of his peculiarity, he was dragged outside and stoned to death. I love, I love this story, and I use it a lot anymore, because there's so much to it. He died the death of a martyr, and in this way, he also glorified his father. He glorified God. But don't forget, before his death, God glorified Stephen by opening the heavens and allowing him to see Christ sitting in his right-hand side. He's the only one I can find in Scripture that ever got that. What a blessing. Did he compromise when they told him to stop doing it? What did he say? I can't. When they told him, he said, look, oh, and not only that, look what I see. Of course he did. Because his eyes weren't focused on them, weren't focused on the stones that they had, weren't focused on the, the, the situation. He was focused on that. And when he saw that, that's all he saw. He didn't. In fact, I think you forgot all about them people, and I've said it a thousand times. I'll bet you when they started, in their anger, started hurling these massive rocks at him, and I don't think he felt a darn thing. I don't. Because when, when you are so focused on the Lord, you, the arrows that Satan and people and garbage is being, you don't even know it. You don't feel it because you don't know it. And I wonder how many times that the arrows have been shot and my eyes were focused up here, and, 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 I, and I wasn't aware, and Christ stood in front and took him. I wonder how many times that happened. Come on, Come on. I've been a bodyguard in my life. I'm trained. <laughs> and I always had to ask myself the question, would I be willing not only to take the bullet, but to give my life for the person I'm protecting? And if you aren't, then you, you, then you can't be one. And I looked at Christ, he was more than willing. He was eager to do that for me, you see. Thank you, God. Now, here's my question. How do you stack up? How do you stack up now that you see God's people described? <laughs> right? You see, God is, and, and, and here, Satan's like, yeah, see, you aren't, are you? And God's like, no, you're not. Get away, Satan. But here's the deal. You haven't been, and you aren't, but you can be, and I want you to be. And all you have to do 
is get rid of these things, focus on me, and guess what? I'll get you there. That's what he wants to do with you. Amen. He's concerned where you're going, not where you've been. Yeah. He's concerned with what you can be, not what you are. All right. He's concerned of what you're going to be, yes. not what Satan says you're going to be. See, Satan's going to tell you, you're going to live with me in eternity. And God said, no, no, no. You can live with me in eternity. Now, who do you want to live with in eternity? It's up to you. It's completely your decision. Can you say that what is described by Peter is a description of you? Or are you found a little lacking? Or do you find the description of God's people doesn't really fit you? You see, we can be, and God expects us to be exactly that which Peter describes. Now, I can't tell you what you should do. I do sometimes. But most of you don't listen anyway. You know what I found? As our worship team comes, listen to this. I, I, I was talking to, uh, I went to go get a chiropractic adjustment, and I knew my chiropractor wasn't there, so I used uh, his partner. And, uh, and, and I, I was talking to Doc Ethan, and I said, he said, how's things going? He said, you counsel, don't you? And I said, a lot. He said, I have a question for you. I said, okay. He said, you know, I can't tell you t- just today how many times I've seen people who've come in, and you know, I've been treating an, an injury for them, and uh, they said, how do I get better? And uh, he, well, um, an adjustment will help. He, and then I need you to ice. I need you to alternate ice and heat. I need you to do this, some stretches. He goes, and, and they, ne- they never do it. They come in and say, give me an adjustment, and that I'll take care of it. And when the adjustments aren't holding, they want to know why. And then they say, well, you know, maybe I need to find a different chiropractor because your adjustments aren't working. He says, well, have you been icing and heating? Have you been, well, No. He said, do they do that to you? Do, do people come in and want help and say, I got this problem. Can you help? Can you counsel? And then not do what you told them. I said, all the time. Well. All the time. And friends, if we're going to do that with a chiropractor or with a pastor or whatever, do you think we're doing it with God? Do you think we're, we're drawing in what we think God wants us to do and then saying, well, you know, God just, you know, dominus onus and that's it. No. God says, Work hard so that you gain it. Because anything worth having takes hard work. Always did. And the Satan is going to work hard on you not to have it. You see? So the choice is yours. Would you stand with me today? Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.